delighted to be here. Um, we have been basking in the love of Stephen and Anne and the grandchildren, and then to come to the retreat the last couple of days, and um, let's see, what did we do? We ate. We just ate and, <laughs> and ate and ate. We had a, we had a wonderful time, and I, um, I wish I could meet all of you as I had the privilege of meeting you um, during the retreat. Diane and I have just, we've had more fun than a little bit being here, and you have known Diana for some years, uh, but uh, about six years ago, I guess now, because we've been married five years, uh, I flew out here to uh, talk specifically with Stephen because I felt like before we pressed forward in this relationship that we felt the Lord was, uh, had initiated that, that we ought to get permission from our kids. We have six kids. We share six kids, 33 grandkids, um, seven, 14, soon to be 17 great-grandkids, and that's growing exponentially. And um, so I felt like, at least from the children, that we needed to have uh, some kind of a sit-down before the wedding. And I have a beautiful mental picture and actually a physical picture of Stephen performing the wedding vows there in Fort Worth, Texas. And I was so blessed that he did that. And I, I have such admiration for him. And you need to know that uh, when we go home from church, we go home to listen to him. Now, we have three preachers in the family, so I have to listen to three others as, or to, uh, two others as well. But come home to listen to him because he is, I believe, one of the finest Bible expositors any place in this country. And, and I'm not just blowing smoke his way. I, that is the truth. I love to hear him preach. You don't have any question when Stephen preaches whether he studied the text. Uh, and he's going to take you on a journey through the Bible. I have done that myself for many, many years, and I admire the way that he does it. And now to be here. All I have seen of this congregation is this, what's behind me. I have not seen you or heard you. And to hear you sing and um, uh, to just be here to see you with the seeing of the eye is it's just a blessing. Thanks, folks. And uh, Diane and I, just we just we love being here. We've had a, had a wonderful, wonderful time, and we go home 10 pounds heavier each. Um, let me ask you, if you will, please, to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now, Stephen, does it matter if I step to the side of this pulpit and get out in this direction? Do, do, we, do you lose me or do I need to stay here? You do? You don't. Okay. I'm good. Um, I just want to sit on the front porch with you for a little bit and see if you'll let me into your heart and then we'll go to the then we'll go to the um, to the subject some years ago I uh, after a, a tremendous wrestling match with the Lord uh, 21 days I said no 21 days the Lord said go uh, I answered the Lord's call to go pastor a church and um, I didn't know why I had wrestled so much about it and why I had now 21 different passages of Scripture that spoke to me about that, about that church. 
And almost immediately upon arriving as pastor of that church, I discovered that there was a huge problem. And uh, we love that church. Don and I are members of that church now. In fact, the pastor, I remember hiring him as a cook in our church years ago, and he has grown up now, and he is our pastor. But and that, it doesn't get better than that. But anyway, um, I, I dis- the way I discovered it was that in the first week I was there as pastor, I was sued by two different individuals because I was now the new pastor of the church. And I thought to myself, I think I'm swimming in some pretty deep yogurt here. I, wh- what in the world? And sure enough, um, I, I have no need to go into the difficulty um, because it would take me too long to explain it, but there was big trouble. And it wasn't, you know, just some people yammering and, you know, we got a problem with some gossips over here or a Sunday school class. No, no, no. This was big trouble. Well, um, I cried out to the Lord. I began to get, get mail from all over the country. There were, I discovered there were people all over the country who were somehow involved in this issue. And, and, um, and I began to get letters from uh, people in the church, and, and I don't remember a single one of them being favorable. I think... Uh, each one of them said, you know, you just come as pastor and you have no idea what you, how to handle this. And, and none of them were encouraging. And I would, I would end each day uh, on my knees, begin on my knees and end on my knees. And one day I walked into my, to my study and for the first time my desk was not covered with letters. There was only one letter on my desk. And I thought maybe it'll say, you're fired, uh, which would have been fine with me. The Lord, I, I told the Lord many times, I quit. He'd know you can't. But in this letter, there were four words that changed everything. In fact, as I said, I went on to pastor that church 20 years, and we're members of that church today. I'll tell you what those four words were at the end of the message this morning. So just buckle your seatbelt for just a very few moments, and we'll we'll head in that direction. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject of God's armor bearer. God's armor bearer. Now, Stephen, in his preaching, and I think this is the truest preaching, Uh, preaches expositionally. He takes us through the scriptures. I'm a firm believer in that. The message that I'm going to preach this morning is scriptural, but it's topical. I'm going to take a topic, and we're going to look at this topic in the 14th chapter of 1 Samuel, God's armor bearer. Now, before I read the scripture... I would, uh, I'd like to describe an armor bearer to you. Um, there's not much said in the scripture about 
being an armor bearer. It's only mentioned 18 times in the whole New Testament, whole Old Testament rather. So it's not like uh, uh, it's a subject that everybody talks about every day. To be an armor bearer. What, what does that mean? Well, let me give you four characteristics. If you would sift through the scriptures, especially the one we're going to address today, you'd find that there are four characteristics of an armor bearer. Uh, obviously, you know, you, you realize it's someone who carries the armor of a soldier. Soldiers at that time carried with them more uh, than one weapon. They might have a knife and a sword. They would have a shield. Uh, sometimes there would be a club that would go, go with that. I mean, that you would strike people with. I mean, there was quite an assemblage of implements that a soldier who was properly acquitted for battle would take. And so he would have with him an armor bearer. Now, as best I can tell in the Scripture, an armor bearer had four characteristics. Now, I want you to think about this because... We're going to bring this right home to our hearts in just a few moments. First of all, he was a companion. We're going to read the scripture in a few moments uh, where uh, John, this armor bearer said to, to John, he said, I, I am with you. Secondly, he, he was with him. He was a confidant. Um, Saul's son, Jonathan, said, talked with him. He said, this is what I'm going to do. And he said, okay. And so he was a, a confidant, someone he could speak with. Uh, third, he was a co-laborer. We're going to read a scripture in just a few moments where he says, you turn around, I'll be there doing what you want me to do. I am working with you. And as a matter of fact, we're going to discover that this armor bearer, uh, just as his master killed some people, he did as well. And they saw 20 men die in a half acre. That's a fairly good fist fight uh, to see 20 men die in a half acre. And then finally, you're going to see, and I think this is, this is most important, and it relates to the letter that was on my desk. He is a champion. I don't mean that he's won. I mean he champions your cause. Do what's in your heart. We're going to read these words in just a few moments. Do what's in your heart. And so an armor bearer, let's look at that again. He is, he is with you. He's a companion. He is along with you, a confidant. He speaks to you. Third, he works with you. He's a co-laborer. And fourth is someone, he or she, who is your champion. Do what's in your heart. I am with you. So now we need to look at the Scripture, and, and I promise you that uh, uh, you'll see how the, I say, I promise you, I believe you'll see how this fits together in just a few moments. Now, let me just set up the Scripture here. Saul is king, all right? And uh, Saul is a terrible king. In fact, if you read carefully in chapter 13, you're going to discover that when Samuel shows up, he rips the kingship away from Saul because he's been impudent and disobedient and irrational in his behavior. And he says, you will never be king. And 
I'm going, God says, I'm going to find a man after my own heart. And Samuel goes off to find David, of course. Saul's entire army, you'll read in just a few moments, at this moment has been reduced to about 600 men. They're on a plateau that's about, oh, 8 to 10 miles north and east outside of Jerusalem toward the mountains. Now, against them, there's the Philistine army. The Philistine army is somewhat larger. Read the scripture for yourself. There are 6,000 chariots. There are 30,000 horsemen. Think about this now. And then this is where this phrase comes from. There are as many people as there is are grains of sand on the seashore. That's what it says. That's where this phrase comes from in the previous chapter. So 600 men, an impudent, irrational king, and on the other side, you've got 36,000 crack troops plus people who are, you cannot number them. They're more than the sand on the seashore. The odds are not very good. Oh, oh, let me tell you one other thing since we're talking about armor bearers. In those days, this will just give you an idea of what the odds are. In those days, the Philistines who were in charge would not allow the Israelites, Saul's people, to have metal, iron or they couldn't have iron, they couldn't have steel, but, and, and they would have to take their implements to the Philistines to be sharpened, as a matter of fact. So there were two people in this entire army of Saul's that had armor of metal. One was Saul, and the other was his son. Everybody else just had wooden clubs. They didn't have knives to fight with, so you got 600 guys with sticks <laughs> fighting 36,000 crack troops plus an army that's so large you can't even number them. I this sounds like it's a setup, doesn't it? Well, it is. It is a setup. And it all turns, what I want you to see is this, it all turns... On the armor bearer, you said, well, no, it doesn't. It, it, it turns on Jonathan. You know, well, to some extent. But you wonder, would Jonathan have proceeded if that armor bearer hadn't said, go your way, do what's in your heart. I am with you. Turn around, I'll be right there. And with that, Jonathan proceeded. So let's look at the Scripture. And then this is an amazingly brief sermon. And I just want to make three observations and we'll draw this thing to a close, all right? Verse 1, chapter 14. Now, the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, his armor, come, let us cross over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. And he didn't tell his father. So here's his dad sitting by a tree, his 600 soldiers around him. There's this big gorge. And then on the other plateau, there's the Philistine army. And Jonathan has said to his armor bearer, let's go over there. Now look with me at verse 8. 
Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come, let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. Those odds mean nothing to God. Those 36,000 crack troops, those people that are beyond number, they, that means nothing to God. It didn't mean anything to Jonathan. It didn't mean anything to his armor bearer. His armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself. You turn around, and here I am with you according to your desire. So you got two guys, 36,000 and a number of people that you can't, you can't, even, you can't even count them, and you got two guys. So here, here, I, let me just tell you the rest of the story, okay? Um, Jonathan and his armor bearer slip out from behind a rock and stand there where all of the Philistine army can see them. And Jonathan has said, hey, if they say we're coming down, well, let's, let's stand our ground. If they say, come up here, we'll go show them a thing or two. And they said, hey, come up here, we want to tell you something. And so Jonathan and his unnamed armor bearer start scrambling up. It says hand and foot. They start scrambling up this, this cliff, so to speak, on the top of which is this huge Philistine army. When they get up there, it's amazing what happens. They just go to work. And within the first half acre, they have already, they've already slain 20 men. And by the way, the armor bearer, you'll see that the armor bearer, he got his share as well because, you know, Jonathan would, would probably hit some of them. They'd be staggering, and the armor bearer said, oh, man, I can handle him, and he'd take him out. Then God got into the action, and the ground began to tremble. And there was an earthquake. And the Philistines, they began to panic. They began to run. They started killing each other. Soldiers turning upon themselves. And then there were some Hebrews who were over there who had been captured, and they said, hey, look at this. These guys that have been holding us as prisoners they're, they're in disarray. Let's, let's have our day. And then people began, there were, there were Hebrews, there, there were folks out there that had been hiding, and they stepped out and said, well, we get to be a part of this as well. And at the end of the day, the Philistines are decimated. Saul is gone or on his way out. Jonathan, after handling his dad's, his dad was so irrational. I don't even want to take the time to tell you what he did during that time. And there, wiping off one of the swords and putting things back in order, was this unnamed armor bearer. Got the picture? So, so let me make three observations about God's armor bearer. Then we'll come to a time of invitation. First of all, observation number one, you 
I don't care what age you are, young or old, and you're going to see, you need an armor bearer. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I don't care how smart, how sassy, how educated you are. I don't care what position you have. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. You need in your life right now an armor bearer. Someone who says, do what's in your heart. Someone who says, I'm with you. You need an armor bearer. I have, I have um, two armor bearers in my life right now. One of them is 96 years of age. Now, I'm 79, so he's not that much older than me, but he, he's 96 years of age. But tomorrow, not tomorrow, but Tuesday, as Diana knows, I'll go by Wendy's, pick up a maple bacon chicken something croissant, which is the best sandwich on the planet, and I will, Wendy's ought to thank me for that, and I will take it to his house. We have eaten together, unless one of us was out of town, every week since November of 1985. And this, we joined church. We joined that church I was telling you about. We joined it on the same Sunday morning. Started eating on Monday together. And he has been to me through my life an armor bearer. Well, you can do that. Yeah, okay. Now, hold on. Let's think about this just a little bit. He has been an armor bearer to me. See, the people you remember in your life are not the rich and not the famous and not the smart and not the people who aren't smart but just nice. The people you remember in your life are those who either encouraged you or discouraged you. I was telling the guys yesterday, and I, I, I have to be careful telling this, but growing up, I was something of a hellion, just to be perfectly honest. I told them, I said, I was kicked out of the grade school cafeteria. Can you imagine that? To be kicked out of your grade school cafeteria? You cannot eat here. I think six weeks later, they let me, and this is way back in, you know, in the 50s. Couldn't eat. They didn't, and, and, and I didn't think. I did not curse. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. Just as they didn't, they didn't know about ADHD then, and I was just processing all and just doing my thing. I cannot imagine what my parents went through, at the how they must have prayed for me. And and when I, when I, um, my mom and dad moved from Kansas City, Missouri, to Little Rock, Arkansas, when I was a senior in high school. And two weeks into that, I, I just said, I don't like this. And I put my clothes in a cardboard box, got on a bus, and went back to Kansas City and lived with my friends until their parents found out and said, hey, that won't work. We're not going to let that happen. And I can remember sitting on a bus, Greyhound bus, going back home two weeks later and saying, dear God, would you make me a better man, a better boy is what I said. That Sunday, I went to Emanuel Baptist Church, Little Rock, Arkansas. A great, big, tall, Native American football player 
walked up to me, Larkin Thornhill, walked up to me and put his arm on my shoulder, I listened to this, and said, I'm your Sunday school teacher. And he became an armor bearer to me. And listen to this. I, was, I, I wasn't in his class very long. But he began pouring into my life. Do what's in your heart. I'm with you. Yeah, you can, I've got time for you. I, yes, well, tell me that. And, and Larkin Thornhill poured himself into me, so much so that in less than 12 months, in less than a year, I had surrendered fully to the Lordship of Christ. I had been called to the gospel ministry. And as an 18-year-old freshman at university, I was pastoring a mission church. I mean, I barely escaped getting arrested. And now I'm pastor of, of this church. And my life is changed. I got a call back in the mid-80s, uh, and I I called my wife, and I said, I'll be home. It's going to be a long time. And I left Oklahoma City in my car, and I drove five hours to Little Rock, Arkansas, walked into the hospital where I had heard that Larkin Thornhill was in a coma and about to die, walked up to the intensive care, slipped my hand underneath the covers, and started crying and said, Dear God, thank you for a man, my armor bearer, who invested himself in me. He never woke up, never batted. I got in the car, drove five hours back to Oklahoma City. Worth it all. You, I don't care who you are, you need an armor bearer. Here's the second observation. I said this wasn't going to take long. You need to be an armor bearer. Yes, you do. There's somebody out there who's discouraged, somebody out there who's trying to figure out how to live, somebody out there who's just like me, just, you know, just off the wall. There's somebody who needs you to start pouring into his life or her life. You need to be an armor bearer. I am. Um, I laugh at this. I, I, some years, the Lord has just been so good to us, and I'm so grateful. I, you know, just the privilege of being married to Diana is just one of those joys, just unbelievable and to have this family. And sometimes I, I just shake my head and say, Lord. But I was, I was in my car driving out of Richmond, Virginia, having spent some years there, first as senior vice president, as president, you know, that, you know thank the Lord for that. And, and I, I, I was, you know, just turned 70. And I said, Lord, well, all my life, and I, and I don't mean to sound arrogant, I said, you know, I've, I've, you've had me as a leader in this and a leader in that, a leader... What do, what do you want for me? And just as distinctly as I am speaking to you, the Lord said, you've been a leader. It's time for you to be a cheerleader. 
And just as surely as he called me to the ministry, just as surely as he called me to pastor, just as surely as he called us to the mission field in Africa, just as surely as he called me to any of those positions, God called me to be a cheerleader. Donna will tell you, we love it. We eat at a, at a Panera. Boy, there's a lot of people ought to give us money here. Um, we, we eat at this Panera. There's a guy in there named Dave. He's the manager of Panera, the one not far from our house. And I watched him through all this COVID deal. You know, he kept people on, people that, that were not the sharpest knives in the drawer, but he kept everybody on. And on his on his staff, and he he made sure they got their money and they got paid, even though he wasn't getting his money. And I watched him like a hawk. And I said to him one day, I said, Dave, I said, this is amazing what you do. I'd like to brag on you a little bit. Would you give me the name of the big dude in Panera? He said, No. I said, Yeah, I want the name. Of, of the big boy. I don't want the guy that's the local guy that has a franchise that does I want Mr. Big Boy in Panera. He said, no. I said, David, I'm not leaving until you give it to me. So he disappeared, came back, had his business card, and he turned it over, and there was, there was the email address. So I went home, and I sat out at my computer, and I sent a letter to Mr. Who's It in Panera. I said, just, I, just, I won't tell you, down here in Oklahoma City, we got this guy, and here's what he does, and here's what's happening. You probably don't know him, and he needs some recognition. He does not need a plaque. The road to senility is paved with plaques. He does not need that. He, he somehow, some way, you need to, to and, and I told about it a little bit. I said, I gave an example or two, and I just pretty, you know, I didn't, and then I just quickly signed, just sent it, and I, when I sent it, I cringed because at the bottom of it, I, you know how you have this automatic signature? And so it said, rejoice evermore, 2 Timothy 1, 12. Uh, this is for the vision. Our vision is a multitude from every language, people, tribe, and nation, knowing and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought, ah, you know, when I, when I put that, less than eight hours later, I got a letter back from Mr. P, who said, we know about Dave. You're right. We'll handle it. And he signed it. Psalm 78, 72, so he fed them with the integrity of his heart and guided them with the skillfulness of his hands. You, it doesn't, what does it cost you to be an armor bearer? What does it cost you to be a cheerleader? It costs you nothing. Go a little out of your way, take somebody to a meal, talk to them. Drink some coffee with them. Pat them on the back. Ask a question or two. You need to be an armor bearer. Number three, here we go. The last, the last thing that I'd like for you to think about. And that is, you say, I hadn't got one of those, and I don't know how to be one of those. Okay, here we go. In Christ, you have an armor bearer. In Christ... You have an armor bearer. Is he, is he a comrade, a companion? Well, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. 
Lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. Is he a, is he a confidant? How about John 15, 7? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it will be done unto you. Is he a co-laborer? How about Philippians 2, 13? He is at work within you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. Is he your champion? Can you imagine him sitting there with those disciples saying, you didn't choose me. I chose you and ordained you that you should go and bear much fruit and that your fruit should remain. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he'll give it with you. Now get going. If you say, I don't have a confidant, then you must not have Christ. You say, I don't have anybody that champions me. I don't have anybody that, that encourages work. Then you must not have Christ. Because in Christ, you have an armor bearer. That, um, that letter that was on my desk, I, I, I went in search of that man. He lived three and a half hours away from me, Dallas, Texas. Man, he is something. I went down to visit with him. I saw all these pictures. He was the chief pilot of the 10-engine plane that carried the A-bomb and back, in the, back in the day. Really? He, he, he has an old man, started running races, been on TV, in fact. You know, for a guy, his old guy, Stephen knows him because he was the best man at our wedding. So when I went to see him, he was 68. When my wife passed away and I was, I was sort of foundering and not knowing, man, where do I go, Lord? What do I do? I knew his wife had passed away, so I called him. I said, hey, Orb, I need to come down and see you. He said, no, I'll come see you. Now, at that time, he was 97. He said, I have a brand-new red Camaro. I want to drive it up to see you. <laughs> so he drove it to Oklahoma City, sat with me on a park bench, Told me I ought to get married. I said, you got to be kidding. He, I said, you didn't get married. He said, well, if I'd known I was going to be single this long, I might have thought about it. He said, you, he said where do you, let me show you the scripture. And by the way, that bench is where I knelt on the ground and proposed to you. At 99, he drove that Camaro back, well, not to Oklahoma City then, over to Fort Worth, Texas, where he was the best man in our wedding. Don and I would go down and see him. We went down to see him when he was 101. We, he would buy us breakfast and we'd talk, you know, and, and uh, he'd tell us what he was into and where he was running and what he was doing. And, and uh, I said to him, Or, uh, you got any advice? He always had advice. And Dinah was in the ladies' room and I said, What do you got for me? He said, Well, I've been studying these, these uh, videos of. NFL games that were lost because a player decided to celebrate too early, dropped the ball, stepped out of bounds. He said, Tom, don't celebrate too early. You got all of heaven to do that. Until now, pay attention. Hang on to the ball. Play the game. Keep your head in it. Pretty good advice from a 101-year-old guy. 
almost a year later, totally surprised to him because he had other things booked, he died. Almost just a few days short of 102. Well, you know this to be a fact. Stephen knows this to be a fact. The older you get, I mean, your friends die. Your enemies, they hang in there for a long time. But <laughs> by, the time you get to, by the time you get to be 101 or 102, even your enemies are gone. Okay, so the family said, you know, would you say something at his funeral? I said, yeah. Don and I walked through the door. Over a thousand people in that church. I looked around. If I call, I could I could start naming them, and some of you all would know the names of every one of these people because they are that they're that notable. Not just in Baptist world, they're that notable. Just in education and. And in the life of every one of them, you would hear, oh, yeah, here's what he said to me at this crucial time. Here's what he wrote to me. See, he gave himself to being an armor bearer because he had given himself to the lordship of Jesus, to Christ, his Savior. Oh, yeah. In that letter, I'd been sued twice, was waiting for the third one. I just didn't know when that shoe was going to drop for a church that I was not. I didn't even know the people yet. These words, I believe in you. That was it. He stood to lose more financially if this thing didn't do right than anybody. But he said, I believe in you. And my life turned on that. I said, if he does, and 20 years later I was still pastor of the church, and some time ago we got to go and see that 20 million plus note go up in smoke. Sit there and hear our pastor preach. You need one. Don't say you don't. So does somebody else, so you need to be one. And in Christ, you have one. Would you bow your head with me just for a moment? I want, I want to just speak with you very, very briefly. Then, then I'm going to ask Stephen to come and lead us in prayer. Jesus always ended his time with people uh, when he spoke on virtually any subject by, by urging them to action, by saying, okay, here's what are you going to do about that? What, what are you going to do about that? That's why... And rightly so, in our churches, we have what we call an invitation. An invitation is really from God saying, okay, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? Now, let me just say that if you do not have an armor bearer, 
this would be a good time to say, I don't want to walk out of this building without talking to somebody about what it means to receive Jesus as my Savior. I, I, that needs to happen. And so we've, Charlie's down here. Go over here at the door as you leave. Stephen's here. I'm here. There are others here. It's just that I want to know what it means to trust in Jesus as my Savior. What does that really look like? What does that mean? They're not going to keep you here all afternoon. They just, you know, in fact, they may talk to you about how to get together some other time and visit about it. I don't know. And I would just add to that, you know, I don't know how many people here. I, I do not know you. I know some of you, but I don't know how many of you all are here. This is a wonderful group, but I don't know how many of you all are here who need to be in a church like this. Well, I, I wouldn't leave without telling the preacher I'd at least tell him or maybe somebody else. I'd just say, I, how do I get to be a part of this church family? Okay, that aside. You need one. If you don't have one and you say, well, I know Jesus, well, you've got one. But this would be a good time for you to decide, okay, Lord, I need you to put somebody in my life as an armor bearer, someone as a, as a companion, as a confidant, as a co-laborer, as a champion. And then some are seated here, I'm confident. I don't know what age you are. You could be young or old. It's irrelevant. You need to be one. You need to be one. You say, well, that's, you know, I just don't do well with young people. Well, that's a problem. Solve it. Let God handle that. You say, well, I don't do well with old people. Well, that's your problem. Solve it. Let God handle it. You need to be someone's armor bearer. You need one. You need to be one. In Christ, you have one. That's God's armor bearer. Stephen, I'm going to ask you to come and lead us in prayer, if you will, please.